Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, part of the Marketplace Risk Master's Program. The Master's Program offers a full suite of virtual content, engagement, and resources focused on risk management, trust and safety, and legal strategy for startups. Be sure to download the mobile app from the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website to connect with hundreds of participants, speakers, and sponsors directly. The Master's Program is presented by Aon, Checker, PackSafe, and we want to thank them and all of our sponsors, including Appers Insights, King & Spalding, Seifarth Shaw, Sitter City, Spectrum Labs, Tint AI, and Willis Towers Watson. Check out the Master's Program Sponsor Center on the Marketplace Risk website for more information about our sponsors to view content they have contributed and to contact them directly. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing of the economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info@marketplacerisk.com, and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Al. Welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast. Today I am joined by Adeline Tsai, who is one of the founders of the Trust and Safety Professional Association. Welcome, Adeline. Thanks so much for having me, Al. It's a real pleasure. And I really enjoyed your webinar that you did for us a few weeks ago, which is available still, obviously, at um, marketplacerisk.com, which was called the top 10 myths in content moderation. Um, some amazing stuff in there. And I was, I was really fascinated because this opened up a, a whole world uh, of content moderation that I had no idea about. And I hope that all the startup founders who are listening in as well really felt that um, they'd learned something from that as well. But trust and safety and, and obviously the professional organization itself is not just about content moderation, is it? So can you tell me a bit more about how the association came about and what, what other things you do? Yeah. So um, I guess to start, you know, you kind of, um, alluded to the phrase content moderation and we've used the term trust and safety and today they are terms that are sort of used interchangeably Um, but when we started the association um, you know we were trying to address some of the challenges that uh, we found um, colleagues of ours were facing as a result of directly doing some of the content moderation work but as we dug into sort of the the overall industry Um, the sort of issues that people face when they're reviewing content or, you know, making a decision on whether or not this content should be allowed or taken down, like those, those challenges are actually very broadly um, applicable to other folks who do work in the, in the world of actually having to define rules of what is okay or not okay on any platform. And that doesn't, you know, just, Um, include content or user-generated content like videos or text. It's also things that are in the background, things like, um, you know, payment fraud, right? Things that, um, you know, folks who are very familiar with marketplaces um, will also be aware of. So things like chargebacks, things like that, Mm -hmm. or spam. 
So what we opted to do was instead of look at just content moderation alone, which is very much in the public eye, um, you know, today and, and also in the past few years, we opted to take a more broad view of um, trust and safety. And that's how we landed on the term trust and safety, because it's, it's used, um, you know, across different companies these days. Um, and so we decided to use that as our organizing kind of concept. So uh, we started, um, you know, we started planning for this about two years ago and we launched in July. Oh, right. So really, really quite recently. And so what were you doing before that, Adeline? Because um, I, it's interesting to find out what people were doing that, that drew them into this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I um, have been doing content moderation, mostly in the policy realm uh, for about the last 10 years or so. So I started my career at Google. Um, I actually started out as a temp in sales and then transitioned into a full-time role doing sales. But after a couple of years of doing that, um, I was interested in transferring um, you know, to, to do something different. And at the time, um, it was relatively easy at Google to switch roles. So I was very fortunate enough that a role on the ads policy team opened up. So because of my background in sales, it made kind of an, it made for a pretty uh, easy transition to go from understanding how we sell our you know Google products to actually defining what should or should not be allowed in advertisements um, through Google AdWords. So that's how I started. Um, so I did that for a few years, um, and then um, I left and I worked at Twitter uh, for some time, growing the Twitter ads policy team, um, and we kind of looked at. Um, issues across um, the Twitter ads platform through um, our ads exchange. Um, So I did that for a couple years. And then my last role, I was head of policy at Pinterest, where I covered everything that was um, monetized and also um, organic or non-monetized content. So did that and then um, decided to leave um, because (laughs) I had been doing this for a while and wanted to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. So um, (laughs) as a free agent, it made it um, a little bit easier for me to get involved in a project like this because it's very near and dear to my heart after spending um you know some time um, kind of coaching um, and training folks to do that sort of work so you've really worked at I was about to say at the coal face of but Jeremy's informed me this is not a phrase that is used in the U.S. so um but I suppose what it means is really right down um you know on the, the shop floor you've really seen this world um actually happen in front of your eyes and you know that that obviously creates um and and you know a need and a desire for someone like you to actually you know help and make changes presumably yeah it's been um it's been a ride for sure <laughs> <laughs> when i started doing ads policy i had no um kind of idea really um what i was doing it was really through the grace of, of the team that i was on and the training um, you know, the very one-on-one training that I received from my manager, from my teammates that really kind of coached me into um, being able to do the work that um, I was doing. And that's one of the things that we're, you know, hoping to scale with an organization like the Trust and Safety Professional Association is that there's so much innate knowledge um, in the community. And there is such a desire now to really take some of the anecdotal best practices um, and things that people have been doing for a long time and try to formalize them to showcase that this is a legitimate um, profession. Um, There is a career path. Um, I think that historically has been um, more under the hood at these companies. 
Um, so that's that's one of the things that we're trying to achieve, um, and hopefully we can we can do that um, and kind of demonstrate that even though the content moderation and trust and safety field has been around and practice has been around for a really long time, um, this is sort of our moment to um, you know make um, a community that kind of um, legitimizes or professionalizes um, this role and this function. Yeah, I, I think here at Marketplace Risk, we've certainly talked about this, and I think that. One of the things that's very interesting is the gap between how we maybe are not as trust and safety professionals see trust and safety and how you see it and what the difference is there. And and I suppose also thinking about what a startup founder might think and you know, many might think that, you know, this really doesn't have anything to do with me at the moment. I'm just trying to work out my MVP or I'm, you know, I'm trying to get my marketplace mm-hmm. off the ground. I need to think about marketing. I need to think about, you know, all all the things. But, you know, how can we um, help startup founders to understand or, or just people in general that this is something that affects us all? And, and do you see a disparity between the way that trust and safety is viewed by um by you and your organization and by by people in general? Yeah, I think when you start talking to people about trust and safety, there is generally an agreement and an alignment on, wow, this is really important, right? Um, and and the, the reason I say that is because um, if I were to simplify trust and safety for um, you know, someone who isn't as familiar with our industry, Um, I would say it's all about how you keep your platform uh, free from abuse. Um, And if at any point you are interacting, you're creating a product or a service and you're interacting with um, a user or um, some other entity outside of your organization, you need to think about how to preserve trust um, in that relationship. So being a startup founder is incredibly hard work. Um, I only got the tiniest taste of it um, as as a result of being um, involved in starting up this organization together with my co-founders. And I had a lot of support um, from from, um, the rest of the board and my co-founders. So, um, you know, I, I totally recognize that it's hard to, you know, juggle all these different priorities. Mm -hmm. So what I would, um, you know, suggest to any startup founder who is, um, you know, trying to juggle all of these really difficult um, issues um, day to day is if your product interacts with a user or interacts with an outside party, um, think about the values and the mission and the principles you have as a company and think about how you can um, make sure that your product experience lives up to that mission and those values, um, as well as preserves trust between um, your organization and any other entity that you interact with. So that's at a really basic level. Um, And I think trust and safety um, can be something um, mainstreamed um, into your overall product experience, just like how privacy was very much, you know, in the beginning kind of viewed as a separate um, sort of policy that you had to write and post and it was kind of a drag. Um, now, though, um, everyone is integrating these privacy experiences into their products and services. So I would urge startup founders to kind of think of trust and safety in the same way. If you're going to um, have a product that um, allows people to share videos videos, right? Um, Very kind of popular um, product and service these days. Think about the types of um, videos you may not want on your platform because they just erode trust with your users or just 
frankly, are um, could be, you know, um, not compliant with local laws and regulation. Like you need to think about that. Um, so how do you build the tools um, internally to make sure that those sorts of um, pieces of content aren't um, allowed to surface or allowed to be distributed? It's really interesting when you talk about um, improving people's you know society I suppose in general understanding of this world and you've mentioned to me before about the the trust and safety foundation project how does that um fit in with this objective yeah the so there there are two organizations um like you referenced, um, the first is the Trust and Safety Professional Association, which if you wanted to get into kind of the technical detail, it's a, it's a 501c6 membership-based organization per the IRS. Um, and the Trust and Safety Foundation is a more traditional 501c3. So, um, you know, that that organization was, was pretty deliberate. And we're currently a, a project of the um, Internet Education Foundation, um, uh, who is our fiscal sponsor. So the, the foundation is very much focused on the public understanding of what trust and safety is, because there's all this work that we can do um, as a community with the trust and safety professionals, um, you know, around training, um, around building a sense of community and around providing support for professionals. But that need, we felt at the time that that needed to be complemented by um, a corresponding kind of public awareness of how challenging the work is. Um, how it's very multifaceted work and kind of, um, you know, precisely like the, the, the webinar that we did, like we needed to dismantle some of the myths that people have about content moderation and um, trust and safety. So the foundation is very much focused on, hey, like what are our relationships with um you know, educating people who might be writing about trust and safety or content moderation. Um, how do we create one pagers for um, people who might be uh, regulators who might need to learn a little bit more about trust and safety before writing a really detailed bill about what to do about these these content moderation practices? So, so that's what we hope to achieve there. Um, and also, there's a very strong research component that we're hoping to cultivate with the foundation. Um, so things like um, you know being able to amplify research around wellness and resilience practices that are um, data-driven um, and actually um, impactful as opposed to just purely anecdotal. So those are kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the contours of the foundation. Yeah. And so does that mean that um, you, you're not just putting out, you know, maybe educational programs or or research that people can actually come to you and, and, and ask for support on, on specific things as well? Is it sort of two-way in that sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to date, we've had, you know, conversations with different um, organizations um, that we would like to partner with in the future. And, and you know, I have to kind of qualify this and say it's still kind of early days. And um, we've been very fortunate. We just hired our founding executive director. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of an acting, um, you know, co-interim director to get together with Clara, um, Tao, my, my co-founder. Um, but Charlotte Wilner is about to take on the organization at the end of the month. And so as she transitions and onboards, we're going to think about, you know, whether or not the direction that we've set so far is um, kind of the, the right direction or if we need to um, adjust some things here and there. She's very much aligned with us. I think she's a longtime trust and safety veteran, um, 13 years of experience at, at um, you know, different companies. Um, 
but um, to, to kind of answer your question um, around the type of support that um, we'll be providing, it is kind of a two-way street. I think it has to be. Um, so especially particularly on the association, um, we rely very heavily on um, trust and safety professionals telling us what the true needs are, mm-hmm. um, even though Charlotte and I and, and you know others um, in our advisory um, group and, and, and on our board have worked directly in this field. It's really important that we don't lose sight of the fact that um, the the professionals that we need to support are the ones who should be telling us um, what their priorities are. Um, And then on the foundation side, you know, we've responded to um, a few um, journalist queries. Um, We've kind of highlighted ourselves as, hey, like if, if you need, you know, a perspective on um, trust and safety because you're writing something about trust and safety. We're happy to give you um, a little bit of background, a little bit more context, um, and connect you, you know, to other folks um, who may be um, kind of experts in certain areas that you're writing about. Yeah, and that's invaluable. And I know, having worked as a journalist myself, to have an association where you can get that information and you can be put in touch with people it stops um people writing about this subject just sort of maybe I don't know going to you know the wrong people or you know trying to gather the information themselves but you know not necessarily uh getting uh the right information or the most up-to-date information um yeah I'm interested about the the support for trust and safety professionals because I'm I'm not um necessarily that um, knowledgeable about what type of maybe well-being support and um, you know these types of you know management of difficult situations what so what does that actually you know look like sometimes because I, I think that you know people outside the industry don't necessarily understand what kind of support trust and safety professionals might need day to day and um, I'm interested to hear what you provide in that way. Yeah, um, I think that that's that's a great question because I, I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of, one of the the topics that's very much been in the public eye, um, you know, in the last couple years, um, you know, there are a few journalists who um, write about this um, quite a bit in the context of commercial content moderation, um, as wellness and resilience. Um, the work that, you know, and, and I know we're, we're speaking very much about um, content review right now, um, which is a very, you know, particular part of, of trust and safety. But, um, you know, for, for every terrorist video that gets posted for every um, unfortunate um, kind of self-harm video that gets posted. Someone, um, either a machine reviews it and takes it down with the known video, um, or there's some kind of algorithm that identifies this as um, an inappropriate video, or a human actually has to review it. Um, when you look at um, commercial um, content moderation and in-house um, content moderation, we have people who look at some really difficult content um, or, or, you know, and, and it isn't just videos or images. Sometimes people write about suicide ideation, which can be really difficult and challenging um, eating disorders. So there's a broad range of really um, kind of um, traumatizing content um, that as a trust and safety professional, you may um, come across. So I think um, today there are, um, you know, different companies have different practices around how to support their people um, who are experiencing um, really kind of um, very physical and and very real physical and emotional um, um, 
conditions um, as a result of doing the work that they do. So one of the things that we're hoping to focus on as um, an association is compiling um, a bunch of these best practices, documenting them, making sure that um, people have sort of this, um, a source to go to so that they don't have to build up a program from scratch. There is a working group that we've assembled um, through the association that's composed of various um, professionals who have, who have done this work and care really deeply about the wellness and resilience work. Um, it's being led by Catherine Weems, who is um, a very long time um, trust and safety um, professional as well. Um, and, you know, some of the things that we've talked about are putting together, um, you know, a one sheet about working from home in the time of COVID um, because that, in, and I, you know, we could, we could talk about that in more detail in a bit, but that is definitely a concern about how that impacts your, your wellness. Um, another thing that, you know, we've been contemplating is what are some evidence-based um, material that we could draw upon to help make some of the current practices that these companies more robust because anecdotally we sort of know like hey like you know if we have the team um, have you know adult coloring book sessions once a week right that helps to break um, mentally take a help you take a break from looking at some really difficult content um, during the day but do we actually know from a scientific or, or data-driven point of view if that's truly helpful Maybe we don't, um, and maybe we need a lot more research there. And that's where the foundation comes in, where um, we're hoping to use the foundation as a means of trying to find that research or fund that research and or amplify that research. And what about um, the actual sort of, I mean, obviously this year has been quite difficult when it um, comes to such things, but what about sort of getting together and, um, you know, meeting other industry peers? Is that something that you'll be working towards as an association when things are a bit more normal? Will there be events in person that people can go to? Yes, I personally would love that. That was always in the plan. And and this is where kind of my softy side um, is um, <laughs> revealed a little bit. Um, I adore this community. Um, and in the past, you know, um, individuals in the, in the community who have these challenging full-time jobs mm -hmm. have put together happy hours where, you know, we would show up and they, they you know, very graciously sponsored these happy hours at their companies and we would just get together. And there's this sort of connection that you feel with people who have done this work with you um sort of like um you know recognizing that someone's been in the trenches with you um, mm -hmm. and that you can identify with one another's um kind of work issues but also um kind of the, the wins right that that you get um so i'm always cheering for 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 my um fellow trust and safety professionals and really empathizing with them and a ton and so you know, th this year has been really difficult because we haven't been able to do those get togethers where we can just chat informally or, you know, give one another an encouraging hug if should they accept it. Um, mm -hmm. I love hugs. Um, so, so that's been particularly rough. Um, but also, you know, so there's like kind of the community aspect of it um, that I hope when things become more normal, we'll be able to have these more social um, events. But also, um, it's always been our goal to um, take what's um, so one of our I'll back up a little bit. Um, one of our co-founders is um, Professor Eric Goldman, who started up this content moderation at scale conference at Santa Clara University. Um, 
since the formation of the Trust and Safety um, Professional Association, um, you know, we're transitioning that conference series, which was very, very successful um, and received a ton of positive feedback. Um, we're going to transition that into the um, professional association. So the conference, um, you know, is, is a great event um, that we can use to share more information, um, get professionals together, share resources, have, um, you know, folks get to know each other. Um, and, and, you know, through events, in-person events like this, there's a really powerful way of democratizing access to one another, which I think this community um, kind of needs. Um, to date, it's been, you know, the relationships I've built have very much been based on who I've worked with before or, um, you know, um, introductions from people that, mm. that, that I've worked with before. But there are a ton of, you know, people who really want to get into this um, into this um, function and role um, who may not have access to um, that, the, the community quite yet. So um, that's why it's crucial for us to have um, more of these events in person, um, to have our marquee conference. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can kind of turn the tide um, on these social gatherings and have them um, in the near future. Yes, which segues seamlessly into um, some concluding questions I had for you about 2020. I think the only thing I'm going to miss about 2020 is having is asking people on the podcast about what the year has meant for them. Um, and obviously, I want to find out from you in terms of, you know, you've mentioned there people working from home in, in these roles. Um, what, you know, what effect has 2020 had on the trust and safety world and you know how are you looking forward to 2021 yeah wow I am definitely looking forward to 2021 <laughs> what a year this has been um but in the context of, of trust and safety I think there are kind of two pieces to um you know the two pieces to the year you know specific to um coronavirus and the first component um, is, you know, uh, you know, especially at the beginning, um, and I mean, it's still it's still continuing today. A lot of misinformation about health misinformation about coronavirus, mm. um, and so every um, company that is dealing with the spread of information um, has to contend with that in in their own way, um, you know, um, living up to their own um, individual kind of um, company values and, and mission. So. Um, you know, some platforms or companies that are more focused on, um, you know, free expression may have hesitation about taking stuff down. Um, other, you know, um, companies may um, want to um, take down more than um, is um, sort of um, necessary. Um, but, it, you know, everyone's kind of learning as they go along um, with coronavirus um, misinformation, um, you know, and trying out different things, right? Like advisories yeah. or full on, um, you know, um, taking content down, but also maybe, um, you know, content throttling. There are all these different methods yeah. for combating health misinformation. And that's really important because it's a public health issue. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, don't you think it's been one of the most divisory things, uh, discussion points in, you know, c compared to, I mean, obviously politics or, you know, religion, all the things that, that, you know, divide discussion. But I don't think there's ever been one, quite so um dividing as as this and uh, you know completely separate from the type of things that normally um you know split opinion i think 
Yeah, it's it's um, been surprising personally to me because um, it's um, a public health issue um, that has unfortunately become really politicized. Um, so I think it puts companies um, who have to make decisions um, in this area in a much more challenging spot. Um, even prior to, I think, um, you know, it, you know, health information being highly, highly politicized, you know, it was already challenging to try to make a decision around like, should we leave this content up because there is some value in people knowing that, you know, these sorts of concepts exist, right? Like misconceptions exist and therefore it makes it easier for others to challenge those misconceptions and set the record straight. Um, Those are some, you know, real conversations I think that some people are having. Um, But then you add this extra layer of, um, you know, politicized public health, you know, information on top of that. Um, and it becomes much, much more complicated because then, um, anything you decide to do, um, you know, with a particular piece of, um, coronavirus content, um, you know, you just can't make anyone happy. Um, Mm. and that's, that's really hard on the teams. Um, so I think that's the kind of, um, first component around, um, how challenging this year has been. Um, everything's just been amplified around, um, health misinformation content. Um, the, the piece is kind of more on the, um, you know, individual um, kind of professional practice front, which is, um, you know, folks have been, folks who do this trust and safety work typically, um, you know, in the past would do it at an office. Um, And there are differences in the way someone who is a full-time employee in-house at a company might uh, receive resources compared to someone who is a commercial content moderator, um, you know, at a large scale um, you know, business process outsourcing firm. Um, so, so we can kind of touch on those separately, but, um, a lot of folks who typically would work in an office, um, sometimes in a more private space because of the sensitive nature of the content that they're reviewing, um, they're being asked to take that work home. Mm. Um, and from a wellness and resilience point of view, you know, um, it is, probably the really healthy thing to be able to leave that challenging content at the office and not bring it into your personal um, life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think folks have had to contend with, oh no, like I'm bringing all of this, you know, I no longer have a division between my work life and my personal life. And on top of that, um, I have to find personal um, private space in my home. And some people may have that um, and some people may not. Um, and I also have to kind of insulate the rest of my family or my roommates from um, being able to see the kind of work that I do. And that's really hard um, in, in, in a home context. So um, I think that's been really challenging um, to not have that break. Um, and and, and um, folks are kind of managing around that. It's also really been really challenging for, um, you know, on a, on a health front for commercial content moderators, because if they can't work from home, because they're not given, you know, the same sort of resources to be able to work from home as folks who do, do so in-house, then they're actually traveling to go to an office um, and risking exposure. Yeah. Um, so that's also another, I think, um, topic that is, um, you know, being, being discussed. And I think, um, you know, people teams at, at these different companies are trying to figure out ways to make the uh, disparity um, less apparent um, because it is, you know, you're, you're not only dealing with, I think, the, the mental health aspect, now you're also dealing with kind of the physical health. Um, although 
to, to backtrack of your kind of hippy dippy, you know, it's, it's all interrelated, right? Like the physical response as well as the emotional and like kind of psychosocial uh, response. So um, I think the, the work from home aspect has really done a number um, on, on some folks in the community and it's been a challenge. Um, one of the things we hope to produce by the end of the year, um, you know, together with this wellness and resilience working group that I had referred to earlier um, is a one pager um, about how to manage working from home um, because some folks have, have found some best practices that may be useful yeah and I think into 2021 there's still going to be you know that's still going to be the case for a lot of us um even Mm -hmm. as the vaccine is rolled out there's you know normality isn't just going to you know switch back on so we've got to be prepared for that but hopefully um looking forward to hearing you know your developments in 2021 you've got um a new um a new boss um which is very exciting (laughs) and some hopefully in-person events and um hopefully we can get get you back at marketplace risk so that we can hear more about about what's happening but it sounds like you're doing some amazing work so thank you for for coming on the podcast and and telling us a bit more about it thanks so much for having me and thanks again for um helping us with that webinar and and you know letting us share um our mission and our voice with the rest of the world so thanks so much Elle. thank you for tuning into the master's program platform podcast Check out the master's program on the Marketplace Risk website at marketplacerisk.com, where you will find 12 tracks of content featuring over 80 speakers in more than 65 sessions. You can also download the mobile app to connect with participants, speakers, and sponsors from around the world. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.